0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought provoking, profession shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Eric Allen, partner, Bernkopf Goodman LLP, discusses the intersection of tech and real estate and the chase for talent. The idea for this presentation first arose at an event earlier this year. Major developers were discussing their construction projects in Boston. During the question and answer period, I asked, let me know how technology is affecting the design and construction of your building. One of the panelists who knows me responded, Eric, basically design and construction hasn't changed since the pyramids. It is true that the Great Pyramid of Giza was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and the only one still standing today. And in its day, it was a marvel of design and construction, and it was the tallest building in the world for over 2,800 years. Nonetheless, the response indicates while technology is disrupting every aspect of our economy, many in the real estate industry are not buying it. And buying it are the right words. They're not investing in it and they do not believe the technology will have a major disruptive impact on the industry. The oldest group, an international real estate consulting firm, issued a report earlier this year based on a survey of senior real estate executives around the world. And the report indicated that those executives did not believe that any technology The majority of them did not believe that any technology would have a major disruptive impact. Only 35% for smart buildings, only 28% for artificial intelligence, only 24% for big data and data analytics, and only 18% for augmented and virtual reality. Why? The answer may come from a... KPMG report that was just issued last month, which indicated that the players in the real estate industry just do not know how to use technology. In the meantime, tech-savvy companies are entering every sector of the real estate economy and taking a piece of the action or assisting those wise enough to invest in technology to gain a competitive advantage over their rivals. Jeff Bezos said to his investors that for Amazon to remain competitive, it had to stay in day one, that startup mode, forever, and be laser focused on its customers. Rest under your laurels and you will be passed. The focus of this presentation will be on office buildings and the role that technology plays in the chase for talent, efficiencies, and cost savings and space is a service which includes co-working. Let's start with the chase for talent. The U.S. right now has a talent shortage and it's gonna get worse. Kern Ferry, an international consulting firm, recently issued a report that indicated and they predicted that by the year 2030, the worldwide talent shortage will be 85 million people. And that will result in lost revenue of over $8 trillion. In the US, by 2030, the gap will be 8.5 million people on a talent shortage. In the meantime, our immigration policy is exacerbating the situation. With many talented foreigners who would otherwise come to the States going to other locations, including Toronto and Montreal. Our colleges and universities are not training people for the skills that are needed in our society, and we're not doing well in relation to our competitor, China. By way of example, our colleges are producing 47,000 engineering graduates here, while China 250,000 engineering graduates a year. And that is true across all skill sets in relation to China. In addition, tech savvy companies in particular are luring college professors away from their university by big salaries. Fifty members of the highly respected robotics department at the University of, uh, at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh left to join the autonomous car division of Uber. In the meantime, companies who are short of talent are in competition with each other, particularly TAMI companies. That's an acronym for technology advertising media and information companies. A failure to have talent put you at a competitive disadvantage to your rivals, is a loss revenue, and maybe a loss to your business. What can help in retaining talent is the building you choose. And that is, you need to choose the right building. Now, landlords are in competition with each other for tenants, and they need to know what those companies want in the building. And those companies are aware that the talent that they have, which is largely That 35% of the workforce is now millennials, which will grow in the future. That workforce wants a healthy, environmentally friendly, smart building in neighborhoods that are active, close to both public and private transportation with amenities both inside and outside the building. But when you dig a little closer into the data, you'll realize that Although location still remains the number one issue that companies decide to choose, smart building has risen to number two in a close second. That's because smart buildings pay dividends. A study just released a few weeks ago by the MIT Center for Real Estate, based upon more than 650 smart and non-smart buildings in New York City, The result was that a smart building commanded a 37% premium on rent. Now let's look at how technology can play a role in meeting tenants' needs. And let's start first with design and construction and see how things have changed since the pyramids. Although the pyramids took, the Great Pyramid of Giza took 20 years to build, we don't have the luxury of that much time but nonetheless the major problems confronting the construction industry is that projects buildings are not coming in time in on time and on schedule and part of that problem is exacerbated by the fact that there's billions of dollars spent correcting problems in the field mistakes that are costing time and money and creating serious problems for tenants both in Potential loss of business, holdover rent from their prior spaces, or both. There is a company right here in Massachusetts, in fact in Boston, that is working to solve that problem. It's SGA, an architectural firm. Michael Schroeder is the director of design and construction at SGA. And he was an early adopter of virtual and augmented reality. Using cloud-based technology and a virtual reality app, Michael connects the contractors, the engineers, the owner, and other players in a building through and he creates, he digitally creates the building and then works out the mistakes in virtual reality. Michael says that doing this during the whole design and construction project, he's able to over about a hundred times, correct mistakes that would otherwise occur in the field, reducing mistakes in the field to less than one percent—a remarkable amount of savings and bringing projects on schedule and within budget. Now that we have our architect, who do we look to for a smart building? And one of the companies leading the way is Siemens Building Technology, which is a vertically integrated company that both designs constructs and operates a smart building. And what they've done is in the early iterations of smart buildings, they were siloed the different systems. What Siemens does is have a fully integrated digital system that connects all the building systems. Siemens also has been aggressive in acquiring other companies, one of which is a company called Enlighted. And Enlighted takes IoT's smart sensors and embeds them in LED light fixtures. Those sensors are able to pick up a variety of things from the environment, and they're able to reduce the usage of electricity by over 85%. But another aspect of what they can do is collect data. And the data that they collect can differentiate from mere occupancy to utilization. And that would be if you have a conference room, and it's occupied by one person, but it could fit 40. That's under utilization. To give you an idea of the power of these sensors in relation to business, a company in New York recently had leased three floors and was planning to lease a fourth. They engaged in lighted, who embedded the light fixtures throughout all three floors. The data came back, and, they, and, and it was determined that they in fact didn't need a fourth floor. They didn't even need three floors. They could be comfortable on two floors. That was a potential lease saving of over $2 million a year. Now we have the architect in the smart building. And by the way, the smart building company should be at the earliest stages of design to make sure that those concepts are integrated because if you wait till later to retrofill the building, it's very expensive. Now we've got to look for the contractor. And again, in Massachusetts, John Fish, who's the CEO and owner of Suffolk Construction. That's the largest construction contractor in Massachusetts. He says that what keeps him up late at night is that he knows technology is disrupting his industry, and he wants to be the disruptor and take the lead. He was asked recently what he would do with the dollars he would save from the new tax laws. Would he put the money in his pocket or would he give bonuses to his employees? John Fish responded, I would do neither. I'm going to take every dollar and more and put it into technology, including data analytics. Now that we have the building, let's look at the actual premises that are going to be occupied by a tenant. And there's a growing field that we're all talking about. That's co-working or space as a service or uh, flex space. And the companies that are in this field that are successful are technology companies. They're gathering a vast amount of data on how people use space to assist companies in their productivity and also the happiness of their employees and also assist them in attracting and retaining employees. Basically, it's a hospitality approach using technology. And there are trends in our society that one needs to be aware of. One is that companies have a difficult time figuring out what their future is going to be. They can't tell where they're going to be a year from now, let alone five years, let alone ten years. So what's happening is that realization is causing companies to lease less space or to shorten the term, to deal with what they want. These co-working companies are there to meet that need. There's another aspect of the economy. The gig economy, that is freelancers, independent contractors, consultants, it's a growing portion of our economy. It's predicted by 2020 it will make up 40% of the workforce. So the big bang disruptor in this field is WeWork. WeWork started in 2010. Today, they have 465 locations in 90 cities. Now, it's important to know those 90 cities is that they aren't focusing on the suburbs. And they're only focusing on certain cities worldwide because two-thirds of the world's wealth will soon be concentrated in 600 cities in the world. And that's why you don't see many co-working companies in various different locations because they're aware of that trend. What WeWork's done is WeWork is constantly disrupting itself. Adam Newman was recently asked, and he's the CEO and co-founder of WeWork, how his co-working company is doing. And he snarled and said, we're as much a co-working company as Amazon is a bookseller. And he's right. WeWork and the other co-working companies, so-called, are really technology companies that create dynamic workplaces that meet the needs not only of the gig economy but small companies and large companies as well. WeWork is now worth more than Boston Properties, $20 million. And it has, although it started as a co-working company, in 2016 it started to focus on enterprise companies. That's companies with a thousand or more employees. And that Part of WeWorks by the end of 2017 comprised 20% of their seats, 30% of their income. In addition, it's seen what other co-working or space as a service companies have done, and it's started to move aggressively into other fields. And that's an understatement when I say aggressively. Uh, they've, they've created a, a, a division called Powered by We, which looks at company not in WeWorks space and says we can design. We can construct, we can operate the space for you because of all our data. We know what to do so you can focus on what you need to to make your company successful. We'll handle this piece of it. And you can do it on an a la carte, a la carte menu. They've also created a division for 11 to 250 companies in a WeWork space. It's called H2 by We. It's headquarters for smaller companies. But lest we believe that WeWork's going to blight out the landscape and be the only company, they only make up 70% of this sector of the economy. And there are other companies to pay attention to. But before we do, there are troubling concerns for WeWork. One is there's no barriers for entry. There's over 350 competitors in New York, over 100 in Boston. Secondly, in relation to a bond that they recently issued, they had documents that disclosed that their losses... In 2017, were over $930 million, and they had lease liabilities from now to 2022 of over $5 billion. However, SoftBank, which invested over $4 billion, is considering becoming a majority shareholder. In addition, lest we could become too enamored with the fact that they haven't made a profit, Amazon had massive profits and Apple almost went bankrupt, and both are now trillion-dollar companies. But I do want to mention to you that there are several other players of significance in this area, and I, I want to point out two at somewhat opposite ends of the spectrum. One is Industrious, which is a company I think has a winning strategy in smart owners. Industrious has 52 locations, and they, are, they consider themselves a premium work. We their users would agree. They have very high user ratings. And they've moved their model away from leasing space to partnering with landlords. And therefore, cutting down on their own costs. And they've also focused on companies. And they don't highlight their brand as industrial. They highlight a company's brand. And they're focused also on that market of 11 to $250. they have also started to go into malls which is an interesting concept to have co-working within a mall. Another company that's worth looking at is a company called Spacious. It's in New York, and it deals with inefficient use of space. And what Spacious has done is it originally started by looking at these beautiful places in New York that were for dinner only, and they activated it in the daytime with little expense to be co-working spaces. In addition, they've recently gone into and worked with retail landlords that had vacant um, retail space in New York. And they said, look, we'll move in there until you find someone to take that retail space. It's better to have it occupied. We work, excuse me, uh, Spacious, because it's able to keep its costs low, offers a membership as low as $99 to use all of their locations. What one should know from all these companies that have embraced technology is that they're constantly disrupting themselves. It's something that one needs to do. One needs to be open to and change. It's also that technology is not the sole answer, but it gives you an edge. Recently, I reread the play Inherit the Wind, based on the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925 in Dayton, Tennessee in which John Stokes was criminally indicted for teaching Darwin's theory of evolution, violating state laws that you could only teach the biblical version of creation. There's a passage in the play where the prosecutor and the defense attorney are walking alone. And the prosecutor turns to the defense attorney and says, why is it, my old friend, that you have moved so far away from me? And the defense attorney responds, all motion is relative. Maybe it is you who have moved away from me by standing still. At one time, cabs had a monopoly and medallions were worth a fortune. Then Uber and Lyft came into the marketplace and medallions are almost worthless. Those who stand still and do not embrace technology risk becoming the medallions of the real estate industry. Thank you very much. I welcome your question. So does anybody have any questions? What, what's your question please? Okay, so I need to repeat the question for all of you. If a tenant wants to move into a smart building or a building, I'm going to change the question slightly that meets their needs. Where do they look to decide how to determine that? And um, I'm, what they're looking for is both a smart building, a healthy building, and an environmentally friendly. So let me start by saying that one, one place they look is the Wired Score. Wired Score is a, 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 an organization named by Inc. Magazine. It's one of the fastest growing companies in America. And it rates buildings as to their digital infrastructure on a platinum, gold, silver, and bronze standard. It's it's gone around the world now. It's gotten some traction. It's also worked with the city of Boston on the whole concept of technology. Because, as I mentioned, there's going to be 600 600 cities and you want to be part of that trend. So Wired score is one. You look at the ratings buildings in Boston. The first platinum rated building was One Boston Place, which is a retrofitted building. That also, by the way, has a very interesting company, convene in it, that started out as an events and conference room company and has just recently expanded into co-working into the model that industries have. Another point I'd like to make is that green and healthy does not necessarily is not compatible necessarily with digital infrastructure. One of the greenest buildings in Boston, at a recent commercial brokers association event, had an engineer talking about how green it was. I asked the question, how is it on technology? He didn't know, but, the, but Dave Miller, who's head of Wired Score in Boston, did. The lead tenant for the building wasn't going in unless they could get redundancy on the infrastructure. And in addition, he pointed out that that building, that, that, that a green building, is not friendly to cellular service. So you have to work out addressing that issue up front it becomes a problem. Are we good? Okay. I have one more thing to say, and that is that uh, there's a guy to pay attention to. It's not directly on topic except for his data. I mentioned healthy as being distinct from green. Joe Allen at Harvard has some breathtaking research that shows that a healthy building can increase productivity by over 25%. The cost of doing it above ocean standards, OSHA standards to being truly healthy is a cost of about less than $10. The cost not to do it without taking into consideration um, uh, absenteeism or sick, sick building issues is $6,600 for employees. He says that it's, your building manager is more important to your health than your doctor. Interesting research. It's not related to me. Thank you, Eric. Great talk. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or a point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org forward slash podcast.